Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. For today's show, we've got something really exciting. A company that's been making some headlines and some huge waves in the electrification space has agreed to come on and tell us more about what they've been doing. We have Matt Windle, who is the Executive Director of Engineering from Lotus, to talk to us about what they're doing in the field of electrification. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you very much. If we could get started, Matt, just by talking about yourself, how you got into doing what you do now and, and, and what kind of led you to the current uh, place that you're at. Okay, so I've been in the automotive industry for over um, uh, 30 years now. I actually started out as a coach builder. So I was working for a company called Dormobile down in Kent that uh, older listeners will probably remember, but the younger ones definitely won't. Um, and my background was technical drawing. So um Again, it makes me sound really old, but I used to do manual drafting uh, on drawing boards. Um, and then from there, I, I moved on to computer-aided design. And, um, and then from there, I've moved into uh, engineering positions, senior engineering positions, and then up to where I am now, which is an executive position at Lotus. Wow. And, and what got you into engineering in the first place? What was the, uh, what was the attraction? I think... I think all of us are uh, interested in how stuff works. Um, engineering is really underplayed, I think, as, a, as a, a discipline. You know, people just don't appreciate how much engineering goes into everything that they touch in, uh, in their daily lives. Um, cars is a passion. Um, sports cars is a passion, particularly. Um, I've, uh, I've, had, I've had the, the uh, good fortune of the last... Uh, Last couple of days doing quite a bit of driving of um, testing mules on the track at Lotus. So sun shining, wow. you get given a uh, you get given an empty track to try out <laughs> cars that you've been engineering. That's that's where the uh, where the, uh, the the highlight comes in. But yeah. uh, obviously, just the the challenge of it as well. You know, every every single day is different. Yeah, oh, fantastic. And and now, um, so your your role at Lotus is ex- executive director of engineering. Um, what what does that mean? What what is it you do on a day to day basis? Okay, so um, I'm a member of the executive team at Lotus. Um, that uh, working with our CEO Phil Popham, we are driving the strategic um, uh, vision for the company. So we have a we have a strategic plan laid out, which we call Vision Eighty. Um, we were in. 2018 we were 70 years old so we've got this plan for 10 years and it was really important that we had we set our targets far enough in the future so that you don't get just wrapped up in the day-to-day and you're you're always looking on the longer term for the strategic view Um, with what's happened with uh, COVID-19 that's obviously put a lot of pressure on that and we've we have to be flexible and adapt our plans as we go along um, protecting the business but primarily for us has been the welfare of the staff, looking after the staff. Um, so some strategic plans have taken a bit of a back seat to accommodate that, but ultimately that vision is there. Um, so in my role, um, I'm looking after all the product engineering, 
uh, existing and uh, and new new projects that's coming through. So we um, anything that needs doing on the vehicles that are in in production now and um, like we've just we just announced the lease additions. We we do that work for for production, yeah. uh, but our primary driver is um, uh, the programs we've got running on new products that are coming through, um, and then also I run the consultancy side of our business as well. So we um, we work with uh, external clients main, mainly on a confidential basis, delivering for them technical solutions uh, for problems they've got. Um, it's it's good with it being combined with engineering because the consultancy side gets the full experience of the engineering team. However, we also um, we also keep the consultancy side um, confidential from the engineering team. So if they don't need to know about it, they don't. So it, it's it's an interesting balance, and I, I've I've found that's really added to the um, enjoyment of my job as well because now I have the commercial side, all the deliveries for um for revenue and pnl and all those things so uh, i'm still learning every day which is good wow and and lotus i mean it's been on a real journey the last uh well i guess forever but the, in particular the last few years with with a, a new owner and yeah. a huge investment in the business so you're on a, a kind of growth uh, trajectory and, and a, a this division 80 is, is a really ambitious plan for the future of lotus so what 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 has that meant in in terms of of your role and what you're trying to do? Um, it, it, it's uh, well, it's meant a lot actually. It's um, the investments there. I think uh, historically for Lotus, definitely over the last ten, but probably twenty years, um, have struggled with investment. We have the backing of both Julie and our other shareholder, Etica uh, Automotive. Um, funds are in place. Uh, we obviously are still trying to um, be as efficient with these programs as we can to get the shareholders a return as soon as we can. But we have a we have a product plan, uh, we have a technology roadmap, and um, the ability to do R and D, mm-hmm. and all of that is backed up by the shareholders. They buy into a plan. Um, Mr. Fong, who's our group group CEO, um, who's uh, works at Geely, I have a meeting with him every every month. Uh, we do three hours every month, and I take him through all the programs, all the plans we've got, all the ideas we've got, and so it gives it gives us really um, good access to Julia as well. And and they're you know they're advanced in a lot of areas, um, automation and and uh, autonomous driving, connectivity, all of those things. You know they're at a high they're at a high level, so I can go over there and learn. Um, I've been over there and been in their cars and it just just opens your mind to what's out there and where we need to get to as a business. Um, I think also with Geely, as has been the example with Volvo, is they're not, um, they don't dictate to you what they want. They yeah. they listen to your ideas, they challenge you, they encourage you, and then they back you. And then, so there is an element of we've actually got to deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on. Yeah. But um you know, they just they just help keeping you on on the right path, nudging here and there as you need it. And their idea is to keep the brands individual and make them successful with their backing. And quite frankly, as far as Lotus is concerned, this is um, this position we've never really been in, uh, yeah. but definitely not in the time I've been here. And um, the the pressure is hard. Um, the re- the requirement to deliver um, 
particularly around quality and cost is high um but that's what you'd want you know so lotus has got to make a huge step change from where we were to where we're going and hopefully you'll see that come through in the products in the next few years and can, can you tell us a bit about that product uh roadmap what is it um what does it sort of roughly look like without giving too many secrets away? <laughs> uh, so the answer to that is no. <laughs> um, uh, we have said that there will be a new sports car coming yeah. out um, and uh, that that's going to be an ice engine. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you that's not too far away. So we're working on that. Um, the, the problem we had was we, we basically started from nowhere. Um, when Geely came in, there was not a... There's not a set of projects that were there just waiting to be productionized. And, yeah. and the, the landscape changes all the time as well. Um, but uh, we, we talked about it before we started recording this, that obviously there was the um, the article that Phil did last week, Phil Popham, that yeah. talked about our future as far as electrification is concerned. And we see that as a, as a real positive and it gives us the ability to be flexible around what we're doing as well. Um, so... We have uh, we have we have a few threads going. Um, we're looking to go back into motorsport as well, so we're working on a GT4 project, um, which is based on the Avora. So that's a that's a tentative um, kind of toe in the water as far as getting back into motorsport as well. So that's one of the other programs I've got running. Oh, fantastic! So plenty to keep you um, plenty to keep you busy. Yeah, yeah. And and in case anyone missed it, the the article that Matt just uh, mentioned there. Um, so this was uh, Phil, the, the CEO of Lotus, talking about um, their electric future. So that uh, whilst the next car was going to be an ice engine vehicle coming to the market, it was, I think there was enough kind of wiggle room that all of the future cars don't necessarily have to be full battery electric. But the certainly the headlines read, all of our future cars are going to be battery electric. But I think he actually said something like... Um, sort of mainly electric or yeah. i think it, i think uh, the wording was electrification will play a, a big part in our future yeah so as you say there's 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 room for maneuver yeah. um but it, it, it's you know you look at the legislation that's coming through um the pressure will be on emissions um, yeah. quite strongly as well as we go forward um i think i think that's another another element that's been seen out of the covid19 crisis is actually if you if you kind of take away um take away a lot of the industries and and the transportation that's out there that how quickly the the environment can look a bit better as well so when we get out of this crisis moment i truly believe the pressure will really be on low emission vehicles and zero emission vehicles. yeah and well the the people have realized the kind of public health you know there's there's very strong links now with the sort of covid mortality rates and air quality and so if there was i mean there was already a massive focus on it pre-covid so I think there's just an increased focus um, likely to be coming, so it, which is which is good news for for all of us um, involved in the space and and kind of uh, validates what what we've been banging on for 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 a while. Um, so the the big project that really was like this sort of massive statement, and it it came kind of out of the blue. I, I think there was a lot of people that weren't expecting it. Um, was the Avaya, and that that landed. Um, and just sort of blew everyone away. Um, so could could you tell us a, a bit more about the uh, Avaya and, and what the motivation behind that was and, and, and where that project came from? Um, so, yes, I can. 
you know, we're very proud of uh, we're very proud of the car, and it, it's it's nice to hear that it, it blew everybody away. Um, it's what we needed was we needed a halo product. Um, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of brand recognition, but I don't think a lot of people know that Lotus. In some cases, don't even know that Lotus still exists. I mean, they whenever you talk to them about Lotus, they reference back to Chapman and they reference back to the Formula One um, days, yeah. which was a fantastic part of our history. And um, uh, you can pro- not that this works on a podcast, but you can probably see behind me. You know, there's there's a picture of uh, the historical F1 cars in my office. So, you know, we are driven by that history, and it keeps us as a guiding light. But we needed to do something that showed we could bring new technology. We needed a halo product that gave us um, the, the, the brand exposure that we were looking for. Um, and we also wanted to, uh, I mentioned about this um, this kind of cap on ambitions as far as um, finances are being concerned. So there's been loads of ideas bubbling around, loads of opportunities. And we, we very quickly we, we wanted a halo product um, and what better way to do it than to go hypercar. Yeah. We set ourselves what we thought we would like as performance targets, but the most important thing that we wanted was to make it, we've got this, um, our, our driving strap line, if you like, is for the drivers. So everything we yeah. do, we're trying to think of what would a driver want from this car? So ergonomics and then the aesthetics of it as well quickly drove a decision that uh, we would we would go electric with the vehicle um we got into this um discussion about how we could take our aerodynamics further mm-hmm. um we're known for for uh, aerodynamics and light weighting so we were looking and we you know and this is where we got into this discussion around porosity is if you start actually getting the air going through the car yeah. rather than the car trying to punch a hole through it, what does it do yeah. um and then it, it just got into just got into this um, kind of crazy thing that we were on about. Oh, let's let's look at let's look at rock formations and how they're weathered through water and what it looks like and the flow and things. And and as I say, there was just this huge amount of um, energy and enthusiasm that had been held back. And then once we got this opportunity, we so that's where we got to. And then off the back of that is just the performance figures um, that you can get from that powertrain as well. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it's putting you up there as as class leading with performance, and uh, so that's that's where it started. It started as we wanted a Halo brand product, and then very quickly got into um, us getting very excited about what it is. And um, you know, for for us, every day to be working on the hypercar is is the pinnacle of our careers. I think probably as well. Yeah. So so I mean, I was I was going to ask, and you I mean you you answered it there, but just to sort of dig on that a little bit more. So I was going to say why electric, um, yeah. And you you touched on a couple of points there, but it is really interesting that you know as as a as a company you set out on this mission to make this massive halo product, a hypercar, um, and and you ended up going down the the electrification path. So what what in particular was it about the driving attributes and the aero that that kind of pushed it into electric? Uh, so one of the main things is packaging. Um, so the area at the back where we've got the Venturi tunnels, which are the, the holes that are going right through the car is, um, we haven't got a massive V12 or something sat there. Um, heat management as well. So you, you, you get less heat management that, um, you need to deal with on this type of car. And, um, so that drove us down the, the electric route, but also, as I said, with our vision 80 plan, um, 
electrification is included in that strategy going forward. And I, I think I think one of the one of the debates we had for a long time when we were sitting down thinking about the product plan is if you're writing a new product plan from scratch as we were two, three years ago, how could you not justify having electrification in there with mm. the way things are going with leg legislation in the environment as well? So um, it, it was a mix of things that got us to that decision, but it was the technology demonstration, the, um, the attributes, the packaging. Um, we've managed to do it, so it feels like a Lotus as well. So we've put the battery pack uh, in the mid-engine uh, chest configuration, so you've still got that, that, that driving dynamics of the car is as you would expect with um, where, where the engine would be on a Lotus. So it's, right. it's the same dynamics as well. So we've still, we're still striving to um, achieve the feel of a Lotus when you're driving that car as well. Ah, okay, it's interesting. So you didn't go the sort of typical route with the skateboard with the, the battery under the seats. So it's no, because it didn't give us the package we wanted as well. Yeah. And and what we really for us a Lotus is you feel like you're wearing the car, mm. um, and if if you sit in the Avaya, that is what you do feel like. You're you're low in the chassis, you're wearing the car. You've got you can see you can see the front corners of the car for positioning it as you drive. Um, so the package advantages that gave us uh, for the for the ergonomics were exactly what we we're looking for as well. So wow. it's really difficult. You can't pin one decision that makes that makes um, made the decision that we went electric with it. However, it's a combination of decisions as you go through. You set out at the start what you want your attributes, what you want the car to achieve. Yeah. Um, and then you have to offset that against, obviously, range and uh, performance and cost. And th there's a weight penalty with electric as well. Um, but we were, okay, if we're going to do an electric vehicle, let's make it the lightest that's out there. And that's the challenge we set ourselves as well. Wow, yeah, because it is really the things that Lotus are famous for. There's that that driving experience where you always, you know, you're basically your bum is about two inches off the ground and it's, it's about the closest thing you can get to driving a go-kart um, and be legal on the roads. But that lightweight, the this forward visibility is always like a, a really yeah. strong feature in in, uh, in Lotus. Um, but light lightweight in particular is, is something that people often struggle with, with um, electric platforms. So what what kind of approaches did you take to um, to really tackle that challenge? There's a couple of things we do. Um, I think one of the main things that I always challenge and we challenge ourselves as an engineering team is just um, is to be efficient with the parts as well. So we will always look, if we can, is to make one part do two jobs rather than two parts doing two jobs. Mm. Um, and, and a prime example of that is the is the dash rail that's in the interior. Um, not only is that structural as a cross-car beam, it's also structural that it supports the steering column, but we duck the air through it as well. So all of our HVAC air is ducked through a structural member that's in the front of the car. So that's that's one area. Um, we've also integrated the uh, longitudinal element of the um, front crash structure into the chassis. Hmm. So it's a one-piece um, monocoque carbon chassis that's got integrated uh, longitudinals front and rear. Again, saves on a joint, saves on the flange weights that you have to put in there. And then we just have a, um, a crushable zone at the front that we add on. Mm. So it, it's those types of things um, that we're always looking for just to um, challenge ourselves. Uh, we took wing mirrors off. So we've got um, rear view uh, 
um, mirrors on there. Yeah. Uh, cameras even yeah. again, just taking, which is just improving the aerodynamics, uh, reducing the weight content of the vehicle as well. So yeah. they all add up. Um, there is, as I say, there is a penalty with a battery pack, um, but whatever um, vehicles we work on, be them um, conventional or electric, we will always try and make the car feel that low, give it that Lotus agility yeah. through its ride and handling. And, and of course, um, from a from a powertrain point of view, it, it's ended up as a, a four wheel all, all wheel drive vehicle. Yep. So you've got yep. a, a, a twin motor setup. You got you got four motors. Four motors. So yeah. there's there's twin motors on each axle, wow. um, and with, with the gearbox in there as well. So you have four motors. So we've got the ability for torque vectoring on there as well um, for uh, driving stability, and then in our uh, in a range mode, um, we go down to one axle, so it's just two motors in range mode to, okay. uh, to and increase that, your range. Do you clutch out the motors that aren't being used then, or do they just uh, are they just depowered, deactivated? Yeah, you just turn one you turn one axle off and then right. just go to rear. And and if if I'm right in thinking, that's the first all-wheel drive Lotus that's been made. It's not ever because I think there was four-wheel drive in the past, but it must be the first in a very, very, very long time. Um, yeah, that yeah, it's true. We are known for uh, for rear-wheel drive. Um, yeah, and did that have? I mean, that must have brought some challenges in itself. You know, in terms of the design of the front suspension, so you can you can put torque through it, and and having that sort of drive module up up at the front. Yeah, we went um, we went for an inboard damper design. So we mentioned the F1 heritage earlier, um, and so but the inboard damper design is driven by um, driven by the the ergonomics as well. Uh, sorry, by the aesthetics, particularly on the rear. Mm. We couldn't have an upright strut that was sticking through a hole um, that we had for the Venturi tunnel. So uh, yeah, so we've got Formula One technology in the suspension. Um, it's as I say the what we're looking to do is just deliver that uh, Lotus driving experience through the agility of the platform. Wow. And the, the, the Avaya is in production pretty soon, isn't it? So we be shipping them to customers in the not too Yeah. So future. we're still, we're still in the testing phase. Um, unfortunately we were, we're physical testing. So we got hit by COVID right. pretty hard because um, we were testing out in Italy and Germany um, and we're still seeing the impacts of that now. So we're just trying to, we're trying to minimize the impacts, but the car's got to be right before it goes out there as well. So um, we're heading towards production. Production facility's done. Mm. Uh, so that's sat there looking all shiny and ready for some products to go in there. So, uh, yeah, the pressure's on engineering to get the, to get the vehicle validated and signed off. Yeah, because I mean, the response from the market was tremendous to the, the, the launch of the vehicle. And you've, you've got yeah. some really strong uh, pre-sales going some pent up demand in the market customers. Yeah. I, I mean, you mentioned it before. It is really technology. The technology is really challenging. Mm. Um, there's a lot of software controls in there um, to manage the four wheel drive and the, the motors and things. Um, we've also, for us as well, we've put new um, driver interface in the vehicle as well. So the HMI setup is, um, there's a single driver screen with a what we call a ski slope so it's the central console that's got haptic touch buttons on it as well so the idea is however you're driving the car you can just go 
you you will learn where the buttons are so you're not looking down so you're keeping your eyes on the road as well right. so development of that software making sure it's right bug free before it goes to market is really important for us so and that that's the interesting point there um because we've seen it in other manufacturers and particularly like Volkswagen have made the news quite a bit recently about software issues they've been having but in in general in the industry we've shifted from you know, car, car making of the past was traditionally a mechanical job. Um, so sort of mechanical engineers and engines and uh, sort of thermo stuff. Um, you know, it was all about the, the mechanical side and and, uh, and making that all work well. And it's really shifted, not just because of electrification, but in, in parts, you've, you know, it's it's an electronics and software job now. Um, how has that changed the way that you've had to work and and run projects like this yeah absolutely i mean um i'm a body engineer by trade so uh we we do the body panels and and doors and things and 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 now that's that's kind of um that's kind of old hat uh, mechanical engineering as mm. as as it was with the chassis like you say even though there's even on the chassis we're looking at um advanced systems all linked to how we drive but you are right the functional safety is really important um software connectivity on board off board um updates and, and and all of those things are going on and uh to be honest as the guy holds the budget for engineering some the guys come along sometimes and say yeah we need to spend this money to get here and you're just like uh, how could you spend that much money but <laughs> i i can i i can see where they're coming from and yeah. um it, it's it, it's very it's very different from your traditional vehicle programs as well um, because they they run on very quick software updates and versions of, of software. So they can turn around stuff very quickly. Whereas, you know, if you see a failure on a suspension system or something, you've got to go away, design it, validate it, test it, validate it before you even get it back on a vehicle. Whereas with software, they you could find an issue overnight and they put a new version in in the morning sort of thing. So it's, it's very dynamic, um, but it's the way it's going, you know. Mm. It's kids today uh, uh and the the future owners of these vehicles in the next 20 years that's what they're used to now that yeah. is a, a quick software update um updates overnight and um you, using it as part of also vehicles are now becoming much more connected in your life as well mm. you know so um that connectivity between the home uh, the person the vehicle it, it's it's an interesting world and um and where, where it will go with future transformation uh, or transportation, sorry, mm. but transformation around um, accommodations. And we know that there's there's sites that have been built in North London that have got no parking spaces. Yeah. Um, so developers are building spaces now um, that they say there's uh, public transport nearby. You don't need a car, but yeah. those are still high value customers that we want to get in sports cars so how do you get those sports cars to them so there's there's a massive um, mix of variables that are going through the industry at the moment yeah and so you, you mentioned um, overnight updates uh, is it, it, the new vehicles are going to have over the air um, is that that's something that you're, you're connected to yeah 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 that's a I mean a big a huge trend in the industry moving towards that so you won't have to go back to a dealer for a software update. It'll just the car will just be updated. Yeah, in the in the right environment uh, mm. for what those updates are. I mean, it depends what the problem is, doesn't it? If um, if we need to get them back to a dealer, but yes, we will have the ability for over the air updates. Yeah. Okay. And I, I noticed um, 
on your CV, um, for some reason talking about over-the-air updates makes me think of Tesla because uh, yeah. they kind of pioneered that. I, d- I do remember when they first came out with that, talking to one of our customers about, you know, basically trying to convince them of the benefits of over-the-air updates and, and going with that kind of system. And it they very they poo-pooed it, basically. It wasn't, it wasn't something they were interested in at all, but the industry is now moving in that direction. But you're, you had some personal experience of working at Tesla um, a few years ago. Has that sort of... Did that rub off on you in terms of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was I was in very early. Um, the company was formed in two thousand and three. Uh, I joined in two thousand and five, um, and at the time, as it's known now, Lotus were helping um, helping Tesla design the road, the first roadster around the Elise chassis, um, and uh, I, I did the did the long relocation of going across the corridor from working for Lotus to working for Tesla. So uh, that, that was, it was a great move. Um, I loved my time there. Uh, very, very, very small group at the time. Um, I think, what are they now? 40, 48,000 employees or something. <laughs> that's probably, that's probably 80 when I joined. Um, Most valuable car company on the planet. Yeah, yeah. the shares are going mad, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but they they keep delivering now. Yeah. Um, and you can see why. I mean, um, I, had, I, had the, I was lucky enough to meet Elon quite a few times very early on. Um, his drive, his intelligence, and his just brain capacity were second to none as, as anybody I'd met. Um, and he knew where he wanted to go and he was going to get there. And I think, I think that's really important. I think, you know, I've been asked a few times what I learned from him. And I think, I think one of the most important lesson is it's okay to make a decision. Sometimes not making decisions is worse than making a decision. Um, so you, you, it's easy to say, but you, you gain experience as you go through your career. You learn from mistakes and you learn mm-hmm. from things that have been done. Um, and I, I, I don't track it, but I don't know how many decisions I make a day now. But you just have to just be able to flick from one subject to the other and, yeah. and, and be on top of what's going on. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a fantastic time. Um, very, very um very, very enthusiastic, very, very free-flowing. Um, ideas were accepted, um, and we just challenged each other all the time. Um, the car performed well. Um, it's you know compared to where they are now, is uh, I, I think the roadster gets forgotten a little bit in the history of Tesla. Um, yeah. But it it was a very, very it was it was it was a technology demonstrator for them that's got them to where they are now. Yeah, it's 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 a huge part of the history, and even. Even the the roaster gets the people who do remember it. I think a lot of people forget that you know it it, it was based on a Lotus product and yep. had a huge design input um, from the the UK team um, who who basically led on the project and and that's sort of um, like recently there's been talk of of Tesla having some facilities back in the UK again and people are like why would they do that well they are, that's the origin of the company you know it started yeah. it basically started properly here i know there was a business that existed before yeah. but they really got their teeth stuck into it um in the uk yeah and and all of those two and a half thousand cars were built here as well at ethel hmm. so um yeah, we, we used to do two versions one was the full build and uh, and the other one we called a glider which which uh 
was quite funny to see as it went out the factory because it was like an off-road buggy because <laughs> it didn't have the battery pack or the drivetrain in. So there was ah. no point ship, shipping that from America to here and then shipping a complete car back. Yeah. So anything anything that went to North America went as a glider, but all of those cars were produced at Hethel as well. So yeah. by the by the Lotus team and the manufacturing team. That's a huge part of the history. And I, I mean, I guess probably because of that, um, Lotus effectively went a bit quiet on electrification for a while. Uh, I imagine they were sort of tied up in agreements and confidentialities and stuff like that. But it's it's really it's great to see Lotus coming back uh, so strongly into the space. Um, and back to, to back back to the Avaya question. Sorry for that little uh, little wander off into your 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 personal history. Um, what what do you think? Is going to come from the Avaya into the mainstream product. So, what are the kind of lessons you're learning from that that are going to filter back into the? I was going to say more normal cars, but I mean the cars you guys make are all, you know, super sports cars. They're not. You don't kind of make anything that's that's a normal car. So I'm going to use that. What's what's going to come back into your regular production? That's a better way of putting it. Normal is not a okay. good word to use for your vehicles. I think um, I think one of the the main aspects, which is is not technical is that it will drive um the dna for the family um so the sports the sports car that's behind uh via you will see um themes that come out of the via styling that are in that car yeah um so the um porosity the lightweight look of the vehicle is going to carry across and that will come across on all the family resemblance so it that is setting a bit of a um, new design DNA way for us, if you like. Um, the but also uh, the technology that's in there, the learning we're doing um, on from Avaya. Uh, they're very different. Um, they're very different kind of user cases. So um, the Avaya we're building 130 of them. They won't be high mileage vehicles. They're not. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're unlikely to be used as a as a, a daily driver. Whereas vehicles that come through come through afterwards will be so there's elements of it we can learn from um but also it, it it's just the transformation at lotus as well so readiness for electric vehicles um health and safety workshops charging facilities so um we've had to put in um new charging facilities this year on site um so it, it it's the infrastructure around it as well. It's the preparation. It, it, it's a good vehicle to give us preparation for where we go forward. And yeah. and it will be the same in the dealers and things like that. So Yeah. Wow. And the, the batteries on the Avaya must be pretty special with, um, I mean, it's a huge, how much power is the Avaya powertrain? It's like over a megawatt, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So significant yeah. one and a half megawatts or something like that. It's huge, massive power. Um, so very high power battery. Um, and, and we've, I mean, previous podcast guests, we've talked a lot about the trade-offs between energy batteries and and power batteries. Um, and that is a use case that I think some people don't realize in the in these sort of hyper cars, very high performance battery electric vehicles, um, you end up having to use power cells that are more like you'd use in a hybrid conventional vehicle because of the, the sort of ratio of uh, tractive power to battery capacity. But um, in the, the more mainstream product, um, I guess you'll be moving to a, a more of a focus on energy capacity in the, in yeah. the cars. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a trade-off. I mean, as you said, we do sports cars, so we're always going to want that performance as well. Mm. Um, and 
but it's it's what's the level of usability for people um and as you as you say you're always you're always one customer will want 300 miles and whereas one customer might want to go north 60 in less than uh, four seconds so it's finding that balancing act and, and the best performance you can get um sales that you know protect you from the d rates um but then th- there's the design elements to it as well if you can keep the if you can keep them firmly stable obviously that has a massive impact on the performance of the the cells and the packs as well yeah. so we've got a lot of experience that's come into the company over the last year um uh, i've been working with major oems on electrification programs we've been we've been building up our propulsion team with electrification in mind um and the guys are starting to uh, pull together a lot of good plans so it's very exciting oh great and do you get much help from a supply chain point of view with uh, from geely because uh, oftentimes they get again something i've talked about recently with guests on the podcast is that if you go back i mean even five years ago battery cell uh, manufacturers were really keen to seed production and um, we're, we're keen to take on new programs. But now, because of the way the industry's gone, actually cell supply can be quite challenging um, mm-hmm. and getting cell suppliers to engage with uh, more kind of niche vehicles is difficult. Uh, yeah. Do, do you get support from Geely in that that respect? Yeah, we do. Um, and um, we're also, you know, we, we can link in our future cycle plan as well. So as I, I'll come back to the Vision 80, we, we've got... Um, future plans that are in there that um, will always be increasing the volume so you can use that as well but Geely Geely help us um, they help us where we need it Um, and we do we have seen the benefits as well as as you'll see with the sports car that's come through one of the things we really wanted to do was a a jump in quality um, and to really step up with the durability and everyday um, standards of the cars and the suppliers we've gone to are giving it giving us those abilities and and they having having Geely behind us obviously helps get us in the door um, and uh, yeah so yes is a is a short answer brilliant yeah no I, I can see that being a, a really important strategic advantage you know the the um, in the the sports car space there's a lot of the smaller OEMs who are going to struggle in terms of getting the attention of the the uh, battery cell suppliers now, and I, I think like your plans to move to um, a more electric future. Um, you know, if 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 uh, if you're not electrifying now, it's going to get really difficult in the future for some of these OEMs who who can't leverage on those um, on the, on that kind of supply chain. Um, so I think where where some people thought, oh, if we move away from engines, you know, we would have to have a, a big brother engine supplier in the past. Um, maybe an electrified future is is better, but um, it's sort of similar challenges, but it, with different components now in in the yeah. future. I think the supply chain as well. Um, know know that the way the market's going is going towards electrification or 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 part electrification. So there will be a move from uh, traditional combustion engines towards electric propulsion, and the supply chain will have to adapt to that as well. So it's always it, it's, it tends to be a customer-driven um, uh, activity, and you know Tesla have been fantastic with bringing the idea of EVs to the mass market, and that keeps growing through other companies. You know, we we can see our competitors are going that route, and um, yeah, it, the supply chain will 
will get in place because that that's the right thing for them because they've got to they've got to be having their strategic views going forward as well yeah I, I, there's a lot of suppliers at the minute who are in a sort of almost like a crisis of of what do they do they've got to protect their existing business but then you know if you make I don't know, pistons or gearbox synchronizers or something, you know, your future yeah. is going to be quite difficult unless you adapt your business model quite, quite significantly. So there's a lot of, a lot of kind of soul searching going on in the supply chain at the moment in terms of how, how they adapt their businesses into, into the new electrified future. So Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's millions and years of investment as well. It's a, it's a big decision to make. Mm. Um, but uh, that, that's the way we see it as the, that's the way the market's going. Although hopefully, uh, you know, some clarity, because I, I do think one of the challenges at the moment is still, you know, not every manufacturer is is committed to electrification. You do still get quite a lot of mixed messages. And, you know, I've been in meetings recently, uh, the last sort of three months um, with some uh, suppliers where they're still quite skeptical of, of electrification and in terms of the market, penetration that that will get to over the next um, sort of five or ten years so they're they're really he- holding back because they they essentially don't think electrification is going to take off in the way that um, I think some of us and me particularly um, and I, I think probably you as well think that it will so getting more clarity from OEMs on the market direction getting more clarity from governments as well in terms of the sort of regulatory requirements is is helpful so you know lotus's position now is is really helpful in terms of driving um driving the supply chain you know it's it's a matter of kind of saying look guys this is this is serious you need to you know you've either got to come along or you're going to get left behind yeah i think i was going to say there's something that you've just touched on with the government as well is what we really need is investment in the infrastructure so investment in the supply chain investment in road designs investment in charge stations those types of things as well because that that will be a limit to people using it as well if, you, if you've got to spend an hour waiting to get to a charge station it's just going to put you off buying these types of products isn't it so yeah. the the infrastructure um transformation that's needed and thinking forward thinking um but it, i think again it's going to be driven by legislation so it, it's the way we we'll have to go mm, it's it's a good time for a market when there is a it was, it's the sort of two-pronged attack of a market pull and uh, a regulatory push. It's like the, the sort of perfect uh, perfect storm in terms of, of pulling the, those things together. So it's it, it really is um, it's, it's great to see what you guys are doing. So just one final question, because I know you've got to get on. It's one final question for you. What, what are you most excited about that's, that's coming for you guys over the next uh, year or so? Well... Um... <laughs> There's so much change going on. I think um, I think the the cultural shift and the the team team effort that we're doing here um, has has really shone through um, over the COVID periods. I mean, we got involved in a we got involved in a little program to design a valve for the NHS that was brought us all together and things. So that's starting. I think seeing the the um, the ongoing work with that and then just seeing the the faces of uh, the lotus employees when they see their new sports car i mean we 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 showed them a via um and they will see the car before anybody else um when it's ready to show and i think i think the the perseverance and the the 
flexibility and agility of these these guys deserves to be rewarded by seeing great products going out of their factory so we're we're in the middle of a 100 million pound investment on the site here at Hethel. so we've got a new production facility for avaya and we're building a new production facility for um, the new sports car we're putting in a new restaurant we're putting in a museum um, so this place is going to transform um, and it, it also is with our satellite sites as well you know mm-hmm. we're, we're working um, in different areas where we, where we've all we've got sites everywhere just to try and pull this together so i think i think um we call ourselves us lot so it's um it's a play on lotus and uh and it is true you know as a team we're going going together and i, I think i think that's what i'm most excited about really is just being able to bring these products to people and 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 showing showing the world what we can do as well but internally first is the staff is the is really important oh brilliant that's so you know people often talk about you know your people are your biggest asset but i I just see it all the time where people say that but they don't they don't act on it it, it doesn't come through in their actions but uh it's fantastic to hear hear you say that and and i know i know from having seen what you're doing you know you guys really do take that seriously so yeah. that's that's brilliant uh, what a wonderful assets for for lotus a uh, great future and a fantastic asset for the uk so it's been brilliant to talk to you matt um Thank, thank you so much for taking the time out today to uh, to have this conversation. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. That's all we've got time for today. I really hope you've enjoyed that as much as I have. It was fantastic to speak to Matt, uh, learn more about his past and uh, about what they're doing at Lotus, um, especially at the moment, the huge news from them on their more more electrified future. Uh, I'll put some links in the show notes to the uh, the press releases about what they're doing in electrification, so you can go and read up uh, some more about that. Um, also link to uh, to Matt and, and to the, the other uh, Lotus information. Um, so uh, check out the show notes uh, down below and you'll be able to, uh, to find out more about what we've been talking about. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Um, I know some people are listening who haven't yet subscribed, so don't forget to hit subscribe. Uh, leave us a comment, a rating, um, hit like, depending on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps. It helps uh, the algorithms push the show out in front of uh, more people who might be interested in it. Um, and that uh, that helps us. The listening figures have gone up really strongly uh, during the lockdown period. Uh, more people listening to the show um, for their uh, electrification, powertrain technology, news and information. So that's, uh, that's, that's wonderful. And if you've got any questions or things you'd like answering, um, you can email those in as well. And, uh, and you never know, we might turn that into a, a whole episode just for you. So thank you very much for taking the time out to listen to us today. I really hope you've enjoyed it. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon.